Welcome to Iron Sights. This podcast candidly seeks to create opportunities and deliver impact by sharing the experiences and wisdom of successful entrepreneurs and thought leaders who unapologetically aim to win in health, fitness, business, and life. I'm your host, Scott Howell. Welcome to Old School Meets New School. Tradition meets innovation and imperfection meets excellence. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. I want to thank you first and foremost for coming down and hanging out with me today and coming to our studio. I, I appreciate it. What do you think, man? It's better than mine, dude. <laughs> I have, I have a, a studio envy right now. I don't know if it's better. No, but it I, is but I appreciate way that. better, man. Yeah. Obviously, you, I don't know. I don't know if that's CC over there who's got the eye or what. But you know, watching the the four of us, we our business, like, or I mean, our studio looks like a, 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 a boys college dorm room. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of how we've kind of put things together. Like we've always said that we need a woman's touch so bad in here. <laughs> so terrible. Well, it's interesting. Um, that's kind of the opposite. end. I wanted to, or maybe the same direction I wanted to go here. I have, I have some very influential and, and, uh, and special dudes in my life, right. That, you know, I surround myself with, but the ratio of, of men to women uh, and what I'm surrounded by on a daily basis is very skewed. It's all chicks, dude. Are you really? So I needed like. So that's what. Uh, yeah, so you. I needed like. I needed like, dude. I need something that's mine. Can I just have? <laughs> this can is I have your some, man cave. Yeah, this is my semi man cave. This is about as best I could come up with. Like, no, if I was going to have my own little living room or den, or this is kind of what it would look like. So. No, no, I absolutely, I absolutely love it. What's what's the picture over here? Who is this? So that's my pops in the glasses there with the uh, with the guns, and then uh, that's me around his neck and my little brother. That's circa nineteen eighty five. Oh wow! So he was serious into lifting too. So the story behind that is, dad was um, dad was always athletic. Uh, did some time in the military. He was into gymnastics and martial arts. And then when he got out, he started lifting the weights. And he was lifting weights down in Southern California and around the guys like Arnold Schwarzenegger and well the like without dropping all the names. And then. As he was doing that, he was going to college. He was going using his GI Bill to to turn his education, and he needed to make some money. He was going to night school, and he started working for Jack Lalane. I literally have pictures of him with the Jack Lalane in his clubs and whatever, wearing slacks with a shirt and a tie, and even like a like a lab coat. That's what they had to wear wear oh, back in the wow. day. So he, yeah, my dad was the one that really introduced me to you know weight training and, and lifting lifting and. My first weight set was. You know, so I'm assuming old. then you have a, a pretty incredible relationship with him. Or uh, he was, it's awesome. He was just here actually just a few minutes ago. He just oh, I would have loved to meet him. No, he, no way. He just rolled through. Yeah. Well, I mean, my my the relationship with my parents is is incredible. I'm one of the luckiest guys in the world that way. Mm. Um, just blessed. Have still have both my parents. They're still married after more than 50 years. Um, you know, and and my my little brother. There, we're very close. We all live sort of close to one another. And you know, they got grandbabies now, and you know, and all that stuff. So, so cool. yeah. So uh, again, just you know, sort of the boys' room. So yeah, yeah. Cool. No, that's awesome. And I love hearing your stories like that. I mean, I, w- I didn't grow up with my dad, right? So seeing somebody who had like a father figure like that, like it, it always like plays in my head. Like, man, what would that have been like if my dad had like that kind of influence on me? Would I be in a displace, or is it because I didn't have that that I'm in this place? I always wonder that. Yeah. Well, you're dad now, <clears throat> so now you get to now you get to experience that on on a different end. That's right. Um, and I want to talk about that a little bit. But, you know, I, we were just kind of, before we got started here, we were talking a little bit about Mind Pump and all, all the things that have happened. Um, man, I mean, the, the Mind Pump story is kind of incredible. And I'll, I'll add my own kind of knowledge of it. And hopefully you can, you know, fill the gaps in with some yeah. of the details. But, 
you and the crew have achieved so much at this point in the game. And what's it been, about five years? Uh, we're actually six now, yeah. Okay, six years, over 1,500 episodes, yeah. right? Um, over, what, a million listens every month? Yeah. It's like a hundred countries, you know, kind of tuning in on a on a regular basis. Did you did you guys ever think that it would get to kind of where it is? That's actually the funny part about it is one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, no, I love that. Yeah, there's yeah. De- there's definitely a level of narcissism between the the four of us for no. sure. But I, you know what I've learned? Okay, so we saw a therapist about this, by the way. Uh, oh, so if you go far enough back show. in Mind Pump, we actually had a psychologist come on the show and do a live evaluation on all of us. This is hella early, right? And the the we had we were all very different in in, in different ways, and we had, and we it showed the different strengths and weaknesses. The one common thing that we had, we all had a very high level of narcissism. But and right away, I'm like you were like, oh great, this is terrible, right? Like this is not a good thing. She's like, no, absolutely. There's there's different types of narcissism, and she says, if if you're going to do something great and you're going to be put, putting yourself out there. Um, you need to have a level of that. And so, yeah, you know, there's there's definitely a, a common theme between the four eyes. We were very confident in what we were doing, probably uh, to a fault, right? Like, I think that, I don't think we realized how difficult it would be. I think we, I think we saw an opportunity and we had so much confidence in ourselves as individuals. And then, then we thought to ourselves, like, God, the fact that I've got three other guys that think the same way, like, Oh, we got this shit, you right. know. So, right. and we were just kind of fearless uh, with our approach, and we all had the same type of attitude of, yeah, we're gonna fail, yeah, we're not gonna get be great right away. Like that's part of the process and how we learned anything else. And so, yeah, you know, we have these crazy. I mean, we don't think we're anywhere there. Like we still think we have a long ways to go. I love, I, I love that, and I think. Um the, the important thing for maybe some of the audience that's listening that doesn't really know is it's not just about the podcast. I mean, there's a lot going on there, you know, behind the scenes and, and in front of the scenes. Tell me a little bit about, like, where did the MAPS pro- programming kind of fit into the scene and then the whole YouTube channel, which is like this monster out there that mm. maybe some people don't even know about. What, was that all part of the plan Did that, or did that just kind of happen? So your guys actually caught some really probably good content. So I don't know how this is all going to fit together and everything, but they asked some really good questions um, related to like the birth of all this, like how did it happen, right? So, you know, over six years, so like eight years ago, I was already building towards something like this. Like I had no idea it was going to be mind pump. Like I can't say that I would, I knew that, but I did have the, the intention of building a social media business. And what led me to that was, you know, years ago. So let's go back like eight, nine years, you know, plus, uh, social media, as far as Facebook and Twitter is on the scene, YouTube's on the scene by the time Instagram's about to come on the scene, I think around there. Um, I'm hearing rumors of people that are, are making millions of dollars on social media. Up until that point, I actually used to make fun of people that were on social media. Like I didn't have any of that stuff. I really, I used to say like, uh, I have friends in real life. I don't need virtual <laughs> friends. Like that was like my thing. That's why I someone's like, why are you not on Facebook? I'm like, I have real friends. Why do I need virtual friends, right? So the, no, totally what I used to say. And uh, totally ignorant, right? Because I didn't know what was going on yet. And then I meet this kid, and I'm playing basketball uh, with him. You've met Taylor yep. before. So Taylor was the, the, the catalyst to a lot of this as far as, like, w- w- me going in this direction. We were playing basketball in, uh, in, in, in a men's league, and he's on my team. 
And I noticed that he's in there. And, I, and mind you, little backstory on me, I've had some success in other businesses. I started up two right. of the first medical mar- marijuana companies. Uh, I So I had some money stacked away. I had freedom as far as my timing. And I was like at a point in my life where I, I didn't like marijuana. I wanted to get back into fitness. Fitness was my passion, what I love to do. But I had this flexibility because I didn't have to chase the dollar for the first time in my life. And I love basketball, so I'm playing ball with this guy. And I noticed, and he's like 24 years old, I think, at this time. And he's like in the gym at like 11, 3, on a Monday, Wednesday. I'm like, and he's got nice sneakers. He drives this nice car. And I know he goes to church. He's a good kid. So I know he's not a drug dealer, right? So I'm like, dude, what do you do? And he's like, oh, I have a Facebook e-commerce business. And I'm like, okay, tell me more. I took him to, I took him to sushi that day. I was like, what's your favorite place to eat? You know, I love sushi. Okay, I'm going to take you to sushi. You're going to sit down and tell me all this shit. Because up until that point... I had heard about this stuff, but I never met anybody. So I'm still think, I'm still calling bullshit right now. I'm still like, whatever. I haven't met somebody right. who actually built something like that's tangible, right? So he he tells me like we go have lunch, and he kind of lays it all out. And he has this like really cool like sneaker business, e-commerce business that he built. He's only had I think about twenty thousand followers on Facebook, so not a massive following, but had built himself a a you know six figure business. It was he wasn't crushing, but. He was able to work out what making good dough. Yeah, he was making good money. He had autonomy. He was able to like come and go as he pleased. Right. He had some. He had like an assistant working for him, and it was at that very moment that night. I went home, and I turned on YouTube and Instagram and Facebook. Like literally started an account, and I was like, okay, I'm going to use these mediums to now build them up to work my way into the fitness back into the fitness industry. Now simultaneously. I was also building an app with Justin. So my other co-host, Justin, and I, we go way back. He used to work for me years ago at 24 Hour Fitness. And I, again, back to my having capital, I was able to fund it, and he was the tech guy. So the kind of the goal was this. Okay, Justin, here's some money. We were in the idea, so the audience that cares about this stuff, because it didn't ever go anywhere. It, we were gamifying fitness. Mm-hmm. So we were building this app. I dumped about $70,000 into building this app, okay. which was an experience in itself and a whole nother topic. So him and I are building that. I trust Justin to be the tech guy to go and, you know, Mm -hmm. handle all the engineers and build this thing out. Right. And my job was to build the audience that we would sell it to. And that's where I get this idea of like, okay, I'm going to use YouTube. I'm going to use Facebook. I'm going to use these social media platforms to get eyes on me, gain, become an authority in the space. And then we'll have this app that we're going to sell to them. So I start trying to figure this out. I don't know what I'm doing at the beginning. Like I'm watching the landscape and seeing what everybody else is doing. Right. This is early on too. Like with with uh, Instagram. Instagram is just kind of starting. Yes. I'm maybe it had only been Facebook at this point. That's right. Right. Yeah. So I and I so I did technically start Facebook and YouTube first. Um, In fact, I don't think I've ever even released all of them. I was vlogging like on YouTube, and I was so embarrassed of myself. Like, just I was I didn't like the way I communicated the camera. It was not me. And I'm like, this is terrible. Um, probably would be great now, like looking back so we could laugh at it or whatever. But I was creating that. I had the Facebook and I was doing Instagram and I was just kind of like throwing spaghetti on the wall. Like, what do these people want to see? I'm right. pictures of my shoes, my car. I'm like talking about fitness. Well, why am I, and I'm watching like all the fitness people that are like really big, like these, these kids that are in their twenties that have millions of followers and I'm reading their content and this is where I start to really see the opportunity. I'm like, oh, wow, like 
the information that they're providing. It's garbage, right? Yeah, it's, you know, and that's not to just, I don't want to just disrespect everybody out there because there's lots of people out there that probably put out good content, but the majority of them were putting out content and information probably where I was when I was 23, 24. Mm -hmm. You know, so... They think they're doing it. Right. So that's why I want to... They really believe they're doing it. Right. I want to defend them a little bit because I think that at at that point in your career when you're still just... You're you're just barely getting your feet wet. You're cutting your teeth. Yeah. Yeah. You're really learning, like, the right information to communicate to these people. Now, I had already had 15 years in the trenches with clients, and I already already learned those were the wrong answers, and I already learned, like, what you should be telling these people and, and the, the right message to communicate. So this is where I saw my opportunity. Like, okay, I'm going to come out very counter uh, what everybody else is. Well, that wasn't quite enough because at that point, I still only have, like, 100 people paying attention to me, and I'm trying to compete with millions, and the algorithm works where it's well, like... how it works, yeah. Right, so there are no... no so I use the idea that I'm in some of the worst shape. So I came off the marijuana business. I, I went up to 20% body fat. So for me as a trainer, I'd never seen that before. So I'm technically the worst shape of my life. I'm also 30 years old, so I'm not a young kid anymore. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to show my transformation. I'm going to document it. So that's what's going to gain my authority. Like what, when these people see that I know what I'm talking about and that it's counter information from where else, this it's is powerful. Right. Right. And that's really what started to gain the momentum. So this is, this is really before mind pump exists. I start getting this traction. I get like 15, 20,000 followers simultaneously while Justin's doing the app thing and I'm, I'm losing money on that. <laughs> You're bleeding. Yeah, I'm ble- I am. I am. I'm like, and he's like, Hey, I need another five grand. I'm like, okay. I was like, I'm like, bro, when are we going to see something? Right? Like literally it was like that. It was the worst experience ever. So he's doing that, you know, bleeding, bleeding us dry of the capital. And then I meet Sal on Facebook and, uh, I knew of Sal. We knew of each other from 24 hour fitness because uh, like you, we were, were top performers in the company. And so, you know, even though we never met, you knew, the you know, name. The other yeah, you know the names because you, you always, remember, know. Yeah, it's right. always the competition. Right, right. Right. So you see everybody in these rankings. So we recognize each other's names and we had mutual friends and, and our mutual friends kept saying, you guys got to meet, you guys got to meet. Well, Sal messages me. And we start talking. And the irony is that we we actually connect about marijuana. So I have the cannabis club experience where I go through like this. And I like Sal. We're very similar. When we get into something, we go really deep, right? So I knew nothing about cannabis before. So I go down to Barnes & Noble, buy a bunch of books, like start reading like crazy. And that back then was very taboo for fitness. Totally, yeah. Nobody's talking about marijuana in the fitness. It's a taboo period yeah, at that point. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's not a popular thing to be talking about. And I meet this other fitness nerd guy who I right away respect uh, his intelligence with fitness and his level of intelligence when it comes to marijuana. And so we like hit it off. It's like, dude, I've like, I'd never met anybody else like this. And so we're having conversation about marijuana first. And then we, he goes, Hey, I want you to take a look at this, you know, uh, program that I'm building a digital program. I'm building online. My, my partner, Doug and I um, are thinking about, you know, getting into the e-commerce business and starting to sell digital programs. So he, he sends it over to me and I'm like, oh my God, like the messaging is just right. It's the mess and it's counter to what everybody else is talking about. I'm like, we got to meet. I said, I want to bring my, my buddy, Justin, and let's all get together uh, and, and just talk and just see what, what comes well, of it. Yeah, what happens. And we all, cli- we all come to my house and it was just, 
it was absolute chemistry right out the gates. Uh, the conversation was fire, just guys going back and forth. And even though we were all really different, like we're not a lot of, there's not, in fact, there's not a lot we have in common other than like the, the fitness experience. We all really hit it off and really like each other. And, and uh, Katrina afterwards was like, oh my God, that conversation was amazing. And Doug's like, you know, we should put this on a podcast. And I know what podcasting is because I'm, I'm, I'm aware of the medium's growth. But this is still very early on in yeah. podcasting. Yeah, yeah. It's like on year five or six or so. And it's like really just starting to get popular. And I, I had seen on CNN a couple times, actually, like they were starting to talk about on the news, like, oh, this new medium podcasting, it's, you know, grown 300% over the last couple of years. And so I, I, and I had I had listened to like a political podcast maybe a couple of years ago that before that my buddy introduced me to. So I was a little bit familiar, right? Um, but I had no idea the level that it would take to start one. And Doug's like, oh yeah, just, I have all the gear. Let's just do it. And we're like, oh shit, okay. So we all get in the next Saturday and we just start ripping content and... We had such a fun time doing it and we're so excited about like the potential of what this is, especially when we started like researching mm -hmm. the competitors. We're like, oh wow, there's nothing out here that is being presented like this. This will be fun. And Sal and Doug already had maps and a box. So they already had a product to sell. Um, but I also tell people this when I tell this story that I think this is one of the most important parts of this story was we had something to sell on day one when we had one list right now, right now. Mm -hmm. um, but we did not release that well over a year. It, so, you, you spent time building the audience and earning yeah, trust over and over a hundred episodes, you know? So we spent over a year and a half building value in the audience. And we all made this commitment that, listen, we are not going to sell anything until we believe that we are providing so much value that people would just give us money for anything. And that was literally the, the, the catalyst that caused us to turn on the monetization because we all came in the studio one day, a year and a half later, and we're like, dude, I've got three DMs. This person, Justin had an email. People are trying to like donate money to us. They feel like we've already impacted their lives their life, so yep. much. Mm -hmm. And that was when we knew we had a business. At that moment, we go, okay, we have something. And then it was on. So that's what inspired the whole thing. And then that was the catalyst. I mean, that's when you knew we're on, we're on to something here. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it, it, it starts to grow. And then 100 episodes turns into 200 episodes and starts getting. Yeah, it started to get, um, and you know, it, it was slow, right? It was not, it, it wasn't like this, like overnight, like, you know what they say, you know, right. like to, 10 years of working hard and then overnight success, right? Like then you're an overnight. Success, right. Yeah. I mean, first of all, you got three guys that have, um, you know, two decades of training clients. Right. So the, the knowledge and experience, the converse, and really even more than the knowledge, the conversation, the ability to communicate, uh, the same idea a thousand different ways was our like our, our secret weapon was like and, and still this day we've done 1500 episodes but honestly I look back and I go like the 900 of them are the same yeah, yeah. <laughs> well let's let's actually talk about that a little bit too because I was hearing about you guys kind of right 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 off the bat there was a there was a time where you were just up the street from our original studio and and I was kind of hearing from people on the street that, hey, you know, these guys are out there doing stuff. And I was just being introduced to Instagram and Facebook. We didn't even have any social media until only a few years ago, believe it or not. So I'm like, oh, who's this guy, Adam? And what's this thing, Mind Pump? And started listening. So I guess the point is, is when I started listening, um, 
I'm going to be honest, when I got on there, I go, this shit's a little rough. Like, these guys are a little rough around the edges. I mean, to say the least, I mean, if we could say it, there's a lot of dick and fart jokes. It sounded like a bunch of, you know, a a bunch of bros sitting around just kind of, there was content there, but there was a lot of other stuff, F-bombs being dropped and, and things like that. It was kind of like a little bit of shock and awe. Was that on purpose or is that was that just because that's who you guys were it, a, a little bit of a what little was the play okay so it, it, it wasn't the the best play okay so look hindsight's 2020 right so looking back um you know there's things that obviously i would have done differently or better um we came out with this shock and awe approach to get attention it was like if we could be the the more racy and colorful we could be uh, the more attention we would grab potentially. That was the thought. Um, and a little bit of being ourselves and also being completely honest, being nervous. I mean, none of us had any media experience right. whatsoever. Like I hated being on camera. I hated like my voice being recorded, like as narcissistic as we all are. <laughs> I actually still insecurity. Yeah. There yeah. was still insecurity there of this being completely new to us. And so, I mean, we used to drink and smoke weed before to try and like calm ourselves down, which that was also probably a stupid idea looking back. So we did all these things to try and settle us down and we were really nervous, you know, and honestly, it, you, when you listen to the show now, I mean, there's, there's, uh, there, I mean, there's still profanity. Um, I think that it's it's used more intelligently, sure. like right to get your attention. Like, uh, and I, I think it's thoughtful when I do it. Yeah, sure. I, um, we we try and not go to the like the, the dick joke thing was like a again an insecurity of oh we don't know where to go in this conversation. We, don't know to talk about we so can this. always talk we can about always that. talk about that. Yeah, right. So it was it was very rough. It was, and, I mean, it would also probably explain why the audience wasn't massive yet like we we weren't ready for mainstream we were we attracted enough people that appreciated those jokes and that were like us right so we definitely had our so getting validation yeah exactly so i mean we grew like we were definitely starting to go from hundreds to thousands of people and then even tens of thousands of people with kind of that formula so there was this little you know false perception that we were doing the right thing right um but over time, and this is also part of Doug's brilliance, Doug being the producer, you know, would always be like, hey, that was a, that was a lot of dick jokes today, Justin, you know, or like. And dial it back yeah, a little bit. Yeah, Adam, you, you dropped about 10 F-bombs today. Like, just doing he, the F-bomb count. Yeah, yeah, so he would, he would kind of like, you know, he would never come at us and be like, you know, and tell us what we had to do, but he would just kind of remind us that it was just a little much, you know, like. And so over time, and I told you guys this when they were talking to me, we really think that it takes us 200 episodes to like level up a little bit. Interesting. Every 200, 200. you feel like you're just at the kind of, you've twisted the dial a little just bit. Just a little bit. Like, yeah. and, and, and part of that, and I, I just, I just felt one recently again, where like, I really feel like our verbal fluency, our cadence, um, even the topics, like I think we've really honed in on the type of topics to cover. Like there's, there's definitely something that's happening around the business right now. The YouTube is reflecting it cause it's taking off right now. And I, I really do think that it is, it's just, and we knew this, like we knew that we, we, we never were so confident that we thought that like we knew it all or that like we were really good. It was like what we knew was we had a good message 
and we had a lot of value to give to people. Just needed to refine it. That's right. And eventually we'll figure this shit out. Like eventually we will. Just like you had everything else. Yes, exactly. That was the the same experience that we had all had and everything else that we had done. It was like, I didn't, I was never, I guess this is part of, uh, you know, the blessing for most of it. Like none of us are gifted anything. Like we weren't gifted. to do the work. Yeah. I wasn't the smartest kid in the classroom. I wasn't the gifted athlete, but I did well. I had good grades. I also played sports, but I had to work my ass off for it. And so that same process, uh, we just applied that to this and, and eventually got to a place where I think we honed in on the message better and now it's we're a little more mainstream, I guess. I think you kind of answered my next question, but the, it, it, I still think it, it deserves some, maybe a little bit more detail and that is how did these three three dudes or four guys, so including Doug, never want to leave Doug out of it because he's instrumental in this whole process. How, how did you go from sort of the talking about working through and working out all the bullshit that exists in the fitness industry and all this bad information and then coupling it with, hey, providing some good information to eventually, and you mentioned the the, the leveling up every two episodes, every 200 episodes, but there's kind of this leveling up to, or in rubbing elbows with interviews. And I'm going to go down a little list here for people that don't know or don't listen to Mind Pump. I mean, because it hasn't, it's not always just about fitness. Oh, yeah. Right? I mean, Here's some ones that I've heard that I've been fascinated by and I think are worth two and three listens because there's just so much, it's so rich in terms of value. Arthur Brooks, the Harvard scientist, right? Yeah. Another one, Jordan Peterson, for, and most people know, scholar and psychologist, right? This one blew me away and was probably one of the better ones I've heard uh, because I'm sort of passionate about the topic um, on both sides of the the aisle, if you will. But Bishop Robert Barron, oh, yeah. the Bishop of the Catholic Church. Love that interview. And that was crazy. Um, and then obviously we stayed, you, you know, you stay in the lane with the fitness thing with some big brains, like guys like Paul Check, who argues one of the biggest brains in, in the business. Right. I mean, at this point, if you're in the fitness industry and you don't know who Paul is, um, you're not paying attention. Right. And if you do, he's probably intimidate you a little bit because, you know, you either... And you respect the hell out of him because of what he's done. I guess my point is, is, you know, the list just goes on with you guys. How did it get to that? Well, that's a really good question because this was also, um, we thought about this before we even started, actually. In fact, even the naming the podcast was thought about around this right here. Like, one of the things that was really beautiful about uh, how this all came together, too, was that everybody was in a place with other businesses and things that, the money was, even though we all wanted to build a big business and make money, like I'm not saying that that wasn't the case, that that didn't matter. We really wanted to build something that like is exactly how we want it. And part of that that we all agreed on was like, if I have to come here and I have to talk fitness every fucking day, Mm -hmm. I know I'll eventually get burnt out Yeah, because as much as I love it, all three of us, it is our life and it is my passion. I have a lot of other things that I'm very much so into. And so if I'm going to feed my soul, if we're going to feed all of us like that, we cannot allow ourselves to get pigeonholed into just talking fitness. And so that was really the birth of the name mind pump was we didn't want to be barbell something or, you know, fitness something like we wanted to have a name that allowed us to branch out and people would be, hey, you can't talk about that. You're a bunch of you're out of the line. You're right. out of your lane. Yeah. So we came out very early knowing that one day we would want to have these type of interviews and we wouldn't lose our entire audience. And it was really a, a beautiful thing to see unfold because there came a time about year three and where we almost uh, 
broke up the podcast, meaning we almost started to start another podcast. Like kind of different audiences. Yeah, because uh, and th- this is... Um, and the whole in, this is also the birth of the intro to the show. Like we up at this point, we used to not intro the show the way we intro the show. Uh, originally, we just get going, mm-hmm. and then whatever came out came out. Well, we started to notice there was a very clear divide in our audience. There was a a large portion of people that were obviously there for our fitness knowledge and experience, um, and but we also were starting to attract people that didn't even work out. People that like felt like, man, Adam reminds me of my brother or Sal Mm -hmm. is just like my uncle or like they, they, they related to us as characters or as people. And they loved being like a fly on the wall in our conversations that we would have outside of fitness. And then the fact that we had fitness and health knowledge was like a kicker. And so we were like, okay, do we do a different podcast? And we have this one all for fitness and all this one like this. Interesting. And that was when we go. Uh, you know what? Let's do this. Let's actually not divide the audience, but let's just let's intro them and let them know. Mm-hmm. So if you don't like our, because we were we were we were getting a little bit of hate, right? We had some people that were like, "You need to stay in your lane." Like it, it comes with the territory, right? right. You know that, that we're going to tell me how the fuck I'm going to run my right. business. Like get out of here with that. Like I'm right. going to, you know, what I'm saying like you need to only talk about this stuff because that's where your your wheelhouse. Listen, listen to somebody else. Yeah, 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 exactly. We all, and you know, again, that's why I love my partners. We all have that same attitude. Right. Like we are not going to bend to these people. Now, right. can we compromise to try and you know do both? And we did. That was the idea. Was okay. Instead of dividing it, we would do this intro where we tell the audience the time, like the first 40 minutes is banter. Mm-hmm. We touch politics. So if you don't want that, stay out of here. Right. If you don't want us to talk about spiritual stuff, get out of here with right. that. If you don't want to hear us talk about economics, get out of here. Like, But then if you want to hear just talk fitness nerdy stuff, it's just, and we do. We have a, a very clear split audience that is there for both those reasons. Yeah, it's interesting, uh, too. You talked about the every 200 episodes and leveling up i mean how much did that whole process and learning that just contributes sort of to the nourishment of you as an individual and to the team and to the the podcast and the business and the audience in terms of growth i mean because now you are stepping way outside of what would be typical for you and you're holding up i mean a guy like Jordan Peterson doesn't just come to have a, have a conversation with a couple of dudes, right? 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 Like there's some there's something there, and so just in terms of your own growth as a person and whatnot, how is oh. the podcast right and, and mind pump? How's that contributed? We've shared that? we've shared this off air definitely many times. I don't know if we've talked about it on air, but uh, we all agree that I have have had more growth personally in the last five years than the last 35 before that, like it accelerated for two big reasons, right? One, I'm having conversations with people 10 times more brilliant than right. me in, in all different arenas too. Right. So, I mean, you, you name the arena, we've talked to somebody like in that, whether it be politics, economics, religion, fitness, whatever sports, like just brilliant minds. And so I, my, I'm just like downloading all this information. So I'm you're getting growth there. Then you also have this listening to yourself mm. and your own shit, mm-hmm. your own beliefs and what comes out of your mouth. Like there's been many times where and here's a, here's something that I, I haven't shared before. I actually stopped listening to the episode or the show like a year and a half, two years ago. Um, cause we went through another stagnant place where I was just kind of, eh. I was kind of over it. A what do you bit. mean? You weren't you weren't happy with what you were doing. You weren't happy with the content. You weren't happy. I was with bored yourself. with the content. I was bored with what I was hearing. I was bored with myself. Like I, 
I, I wasn't impressed with my own growth. Uh, I wasn't impressed with the evolution of the conversation. I felt like we were we kind of peaked and plateaued a little bit. Um, and we've it's I've, I've been re, re, just recently, like literally the last, I'd say, 60 to 90 days been reignited again. Like there's a, a new fire that hmm. for me personally, like the other guys might have a different story. But uh, I think Sal's never stopped listening. He's that narcissistic. He, <laughs> I, I think I think he listens to himself in the shower and all the time. Just, so you already listened to that at least twice. Why are you listening to it anymore? Right. So, you know, I, I think he's been he's been consistent with it. Um, I did a lot at the beginning because I really was. I was trying to critique and stuff. But I did feel like uh, I wasn't happy with the the level of growth in the last, like, I don't know, two years ago or whatever. But recently I have felt it kind of elevate. Um, and, and again, a lot of that is, you know, hearing that you're, what you're saying and your beliefs and the, and the way you communicate certain things and how I articulate my points, like, um, yeah, no, I felt, I mean, when I go back, if it, I cringe, if you made me listen to like episode 200 or 400 or something, like I cringe listening to myself. I'm like, Oh God, I said that like, and it, Oh, that's not how I feel. No, I feel the same way. So yeah, I mean, and it's a very powerful thing that we have because I used to do this. I talk about like uh, how to develop self-awareness. It's like one of my favorite topics is the power of self-awareness and I tell people like how I've learned to develop in myself is I used to do this practice where at the end of every night I would uh, recount all the things that I that happened through the day and what I was looking for was uh, emotional spikes or dips meaning you know something happened in the day and I had this this high, you know, like, oh, it, you know, three o'clock, I got to talk to Scott and like, I had this real high from it and like, and, and knowing what, that's important, right? Like it made me feel good. I enjoyed it. Like, so, you know, the, the friendship, the conversation, the intelligent co- communication, like, okay, this is important, you know, check that box. I need to know that it's important that I, I remember that. And then there'll be times when I, you have these dips and these lows and then I'd go like, well, why did that make me mad? Or why did I get upset about that? And like, and anytime I'd unpack those those ones, especially a lot of times it led to an insecurity. It'd be like, oh, wow, that made me mad. Not because, you know, Scott said something that was offensive. It's not about him. He can't control my emotions. I got mad because that hurt my feelings because I have an insecurity about X, Y, and Z. So I used to do this to like really try and develop my own self-awareness. Well, fucking nothing accelerates that faster than listening. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, verbatim to what you said. Like, right. so hearing that and like hearing how you dialogue and have conversations around all these nuanced topics that we cover has really like accelerated, you know, uh, like my own personal growth and like how I feel about a lot of things. And it's changed a lot. You know, there's definitely things that I probably thought or felt like early on that is kind of evolved and changed how I communicate that today. So first question, like just kind of follow up question one in terms of that self-reflection and peeling back the onion, layers of the onion and unpacking, you mentioned 60 to 90 days ago, he's kind of felt reignited. Can you put your finger on that yet? I mean, is it, has it been developed? Do you really know why? Or is it, it's not, not quite there yet? Or no, I, it's okay for me. Um, for me, I think I, I have got better about, mm, the way I communicate. Like, so what I was really known for was wearing my emotions on the sleeve, being very radical, honest, right? That's part of our core values that comes from me. Like I, I, I talk about that a lot, put it out there. Yeah. Put it out there. So what I was good at early was I will tell you how I feel, you know, no matter what. It's a double-edged sword. Sometimes It is a double-edged sword because 
when you're on a platform like we are and you just let things fly off the handle all the time. There's consequences, yeah? Yeah, there are consequences. And there's a lot of people that don't like me because of that. Now, there's a lot of people that respect me because of that because they appreciate They, they might not like what you say, but they respect that you're, you're right out there. And so, you know, I think I've, I've learned over time um, how to communicate. So I've remained authentic by staying radically honest. But I've learned better ways to communicate how I feel because that's the other thing too, like how people interpret it is. I have to remember that. Like, so I would just say shit, and it's like, okay, if that offends you, fuck you. You know, what I'm saying that's that's on you. Like this, I'm speaking the truth. So as long as it's my truth, I'm okay with it. But you know, I'm in I'm in a position now where so many people are listening and watching that. I want to take into consideration how that message is received, mm-hmm. and I think that I've gotten better at. Uh, being more empathetic with maybe something that I feel very strongly or or passionate about. And I've gotten better at communicating that. And so I felt that recently more than ever. And, you know, you, you allude to Jordan Peterson, Jordan Peterson, I think is one of the the best communicators for this. If you ever listen to like, and here's the thing too. And I think I've shared this with you uh, off air before the pause like that used to scare the shit out of me. <laughs> the it, uncomfortable silence. Yeah, there's like that letting that happen. Um, but what I realized is for a listener, like it's totally fine. It lets them gather their thoughts, really intently listen. Jordan Peterson does this when he when he speaks all the time. Like he'll do long as pauses where he really gathers his thoughts and he takes into consideration what he's about to say to the person across from him. And, and, and if he's about to ask a really hard question or make a very strong statement, mm-hmm. he's very careful. And he always tends to like say something with compassion before to let them know that like, you know, please correct me. Disarm if I, you. Yeah, yeah. To disarm you, bring mm-hmm. down the wall. Mm-hmm. And so I've learned a lot from that with the way I communicate because I used to talk so fast, so quick, like, cause I just would speak my mind. I speak from the heart. And I don't think that's so much wrong, but I thought there's a better way to be a better communicator. I have felt that personally. And part of what I think that leveling up is, is just getting comfortable Mm -hmm. with that silence. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So in just reflection, before we change gears a little bit, looking back, is there a greatest of all time podcast for Mind Pump? And you specifically, not necessarily for Mind Pump, but maybe it is when you look back and go... Man, this one, like, we nailed, I grew from this, we grew from this, I learned so much, or I was so embarrassed by the way I did this. It ends up being the the greatest of all time because of what I learned from that, that type of scenario. You know what, there, there, is, there are so many of these for so many different reasons that it really is to, like, heart. I'll give you a couple, like, neat, neat moments, though, right? Like, um, the first time with Paul Check was a, was a freaking ride. Okay, because that guy, those that don't know Paul Check, um, he'd talk about a radically honest guy who wears his emotions on sleeves, and, and I, so I would even I would even challenge him and say that he could get better at, you know, communicating some things because he really does have the zero fucks attitude. One thousand percent. Yeah, that, that first step is, that first one was oh, a classic. It, yeah. it, it was just so much fun, and he, the immediate respect I had for him when I met him, we got to go to his house. And I had never seen a book collection that looked like this. Now, he's all self-taught, right? So he didn't go to any formal education. Uh, the man has read more books than probably most people that I know. But what's more impressive about it was when you go through it, right? And I, and I love to do that. I love to go to someone's house and like see their bookshelf and just kind of see what they're reading. It tells a lot about a person. What was so interesting about Paul was that every, he, for everything that he read, he also read like the opposing view. Mm-hmm. 
So like it was it was unbelievable. Like all the authors that were in there it was like you would just never see that in the same way. Like, you go to people's you go to someone's library and you look and you're like you could tell totally like oh okay I know I know their political and right. economic well, side of the aisle they stand yeah on I know here, where they yeah. stand because you can see all the content they're reading. Mm-hmm. Where you have he is so well read mm-hmm. on both sides that he was just such a wealth of knowledge to like talk to about everything about health and fitness and spirituality and psychology and I mean and we connected like he loved us we loved him and like I mean we 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 call him Uncle Paul like, yeah. he's become like family to us so that was very memorable the other one you and you actually pointed his name out too so two of them are actually your names that you said so it's ironic hmm. right uh, Arthur Brooks Arthur Brooks was a cool like um, like oh shit we're like kind of we're kind of a big deal now yeah. and the reason why that was was we show up down in Southern California we're coming down to meet with Arthur Brooks uh, for the first time and he's he's getting ready to do a talk with Bishop Barron they, and they said you know why don't you and your team come down you can watch the live presentation and then the next morning at 6am you can interview him we're like whatever we'll get up at 6 we'll do it we drove all the way down to Santa Barbara and they were <clears throat> they were at this big auditorium and we come walking in. We get there kind of early, and we walk in the the, the, the auditorium, and we're at the top. And at the very bottom of the auditorium is Bishop Barron and uh, Arthur Brooks and, like, a, a group of other uh, people. And Arthur Brooks turns and looks up, and he goes, Mind bomb! That's <laughs> My awesome. Mind yeah. And he yells at us, and we all kind of, like, look at each other, like... Okay. And we walk down, and, and, he, and here's the thing. The initial thing is this. Yes, like, he's fucking with you. Well, yeah. here's what I think. Right away, the initial real feeling from that is, yeah, oh, this guy's good. Good salesman, right? Like, because some, right. some people are really good at this, right? I, I think I'm good at this. If I have somebody I've never met, I want to make them feel comfortable, sure. right? And so I would do something like that. So at first, I'm going like, oh, good salesman. This guy's going to be a closer or whatever like that. Like, he's, you know, acting like he's excited to see us. He he's know, like us. He doesn't know who the hell we are, right? Right. So we, we go heading down there. And we get, and he, right, he comes, gives us a big old hug, and, oh, and he, but then he starts going on, just man, I can't believe this, I can't believe I'm meeting you guys right now. He's getting, kind of blowing us up a little bit, fanboy. Yeah. Oh, he's totally, and he's like, you'll never believe what happened. Like three months ago, I was working out in the gym, listening to your podcast, and I heard you talk about my documentary. I dropped the weights. I called my wife right away and told wow. her, and we were just like, all of <laughs> us. Away. I got get goosebumps telling the story again because I remember the feeling that came over all of us like we were all looking at each other like getting all excited like little kids you know like oh my god this dude like is a fan of us and we'd all seen his documentary we all really respected the content stuff he was putting out so to hear that he was like a fan of us like oh man that was i'll never forget that moment I'll never forget building that. I mean, Sal and him talk every week. Like they're like, you know, they're the best of both. Oh, wow. oh yeah. Like mm-hmm. he's in fact, I think uh, Sal has taken his baby down there to get baptized by Bishop Barron. Like, right? yeah, yeah. Arthur Brooks like, consults with him like every week, like they talk all the time. And so that's become like a very close friend of ours. And, you know, that was a very surreal moment for us to feel that, you know, because you live in this kind of, bubble where we talk on this mic and I know that there's lots of people that are listening to me, but you don't really the impact. Yeah. You don't really notice it until you get in front of like someone like that or get in front of groups. Like it was like the live events. Like when we, the first time right. we did a live event, that was a very emotional time for me too. I remember I cried 
and I, I cried because of the overwhelming feeling that I felt of these people that we have seen it for you guys. Yeah. Oh man, it was it was wild to to get in front of these people and to hear them like tell their story, and it was like holy shit, they feel like I did this. Like wow, this is crazy. So yeah, those those were some really cool highlights. You know, to take that one step further, I have that same feeling, not because. Um, we had mind pump in the studio. We've had like two or three now collaborative events where you guys have been here, but for the gratitude people showed us for having you here oh. and giving them the opportunity to come listen and meet you and, and have that experience. So, wow. That's wild. Yeah. So very surreal. Yeah. Coming right back at you. So speaking, let's speaking of uh, babies getting baptized, seems there's been something in the water over there at mind pump the last, <laughs> I don't know, 18 months or so. And yeah. uh, we got babies on board now. Yeah, we're we do. I mean, and, and, and Correct me if I'm wrong, Justin was already a dad times two, and yep. Sal was a dad times two, and yep. Doug's a dad times one, right? Yep. And, yep. and uh, finally, you made the club. I was the last one to get on board, right. and truth be told, I actually, you know, God, there was a time in Katrina and I's relationship where we had the talk that I might not have, we might not have a kid. So I actually thought I might not become a father. You know, get, you know, you want to dive into like insecurities and my shit, right? So I, I mentioned earlier that I didn't have like my father. My mm-hmm. father committed suicide when I was seven. And so, and then my mom married into an abusive relationship. So I was really, really adamant about not a, a definitely bringing another life into this world and, and having anything resemble what I went Fucking through. Fucking that up. Yeah. yeah. And so I think it's natural, man. And I, th- I think so too, right? And I think a lot of people who didn't really know me thought that like I was like this, you know, I was going through Peter Pan syndrome where I didn't want to settle down or that I, didn't, I had commitment issues and like I didn't want to, you know, marry and have a kid. It wasn't that at all. It was, I had goals that I set myself a long time ago that I knew where I wanted to be financially before I ever brought a child in this world. And not because money is is the answer to being a good father and all but what i what i didn't want was i didn't want the pursuit of my financial goals or the pursuit of providing for my family to get in the way of me raising my child and when i finally brought a kid in this world i wanted to have built something where i had the flexibility to pour my heart and soul into being a father and so when we were about 36 or so like i'm turning 40 this year now i was about 36 katrina and i almost broke up because we'd already been together six years and um you know she was starting to feel the pressure from her family you know her clock is ticking right she's a year older than me too and you know she's like you know are we gonna are we gonna do this or are we not gonna do this yeah right and you know and i said hey i mean you knew where i was at from the very beginning and we're not there yet like we're not we haven't arrived i haven't arrived maybe you're okay where we're at financially but i know the type of father i want to be able to be and i know what i need to do to get there and i'm not ready yet and we almost we separated for a few days i actually came back to pack my stuff and go and uh, she was sitting on the bed and she said that um you know i want to talk to you and i said okay she goes, you know, I thought really long and hard about it. And she goes, and I thought about my life without you and, you know, finding some other man and marrying him and having kids and this and that. And I, and she goes, and I couldn't picture me being happy. And she goes, I would rather be with you and never have a child than to marry someone just to have a child. So if you'll accept me and accept me back, I, I, I want to do this with you no matter what. Wow. Yeah, and that was a very powerful moment for me and in our relationship. 
And, you know, the the irony of it, it was not long after that, because my club had already started and was going. Um, it hadn't really taken off yet. Uh, but then, it, like, around 38 was when it really started hitting. And then it did. It, I'm at a place right now, and, you know, I, I, I tuck my kid in every single night. I've, he's now on what we're going to be two years old. I've never missed a night of reading to him. I come home from work most days at three o'clock in the afternoon. I spend it with him all the way till then. Like I'm present in every moment. Like those things matter to me. And and then of course, we live in a nice place. We we don't. There's nothing we don't do that we want to do. And that was this, that's where I wanted to be. That's and that was really important to me. So. I am a dad now. I'm excited to be dad. I love every bit of it, and I love every bit of it because I waited until this point because I don't have, I don't have the stress and pressure of like, oh my god, how am I going to pay for the bills and like that. And I, that was I watched a lot of the you know verbal and physical abuse that my my parents had that took us everyone through. Um, almost always was centered around money. Mm-hmm. It, you know, the holidays, the, stress, were, yeah, right. the holidays were the worst because there was pressure to buy presents, mm-hmm. um, you know, or if we couldn't pay the bills, like we had many nights, or we had many houses we were evicted from many times we couldn't pay the PG and E bill and we had candles lit or the, you know, food in the ice chest. Like I didn't want that. And that always caused this massive blow up and then turn into this crazy, you know, verbal, physical abuse. And, I was like, I don't want anything. I was so, and it, you know, to a fault, I understand. Like, I know that, like, I was probably really extreme on the other way. You know, if you were to ask somebody else, I probably could have been totally comfortable and fine probably eight years ago or whatever, but not for me. Well, that was kind of what I wanted to add, man. I mean, I just got, we got done sharing sort of at the beginning of this. I'm the luckiest guy in the world from a parental perspective and an upbringing. Two loving parents, completely supportive the whole time. Everything I ever did, never wanted to do. They were always there. Then you know, didn't always like what I was doing, but they always supported me. And, and I was freaked. I was freaked out when, when you know, my ex-wife got pregnant. I not because I wasn't ready to be a dad, but because I wasn't. I didn't know if I was going to be a good dad or not. And I yeah. was really was really concerned about it. I think it's naturally thing. If 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 any dad, if there's any dad out there that hasn't felt that, then. They're, I think they're entering into fatherhood in the, in the wrong kind of way, but that's not to take away from your experience and your challenges and the, and the things that you wanted to do and do right by you and your partner and your, and your son. I heard Arthur Brooks share a story about, uh, he was, he was in a cab or something like that. And somebody was asking him about like fatherhood and everything like that. And they were giving him a, and the guy asked like, you know, what, what's your one tip or advice to, to being a great father? And he said, you already did it. And he's like, huh? He was like baffled by it. He's like, the fact that you care and that's important to you. You've you've already won sixty percent of the battle right there. And I think that's a true statement. I think to you know that if you're a dad who doesn't care about those things, you're you're already failing. And if you do already care, like you already got half the battle already. So yeah, if that's sixty percent of it, I think maybe the other forty percent just be there. Right. Just be there. Be present. Yeah, no doubt. Be available. So so on that note. Um, with uh, if you had to go back now, I think you said eight years would be a little bit more than this. Go back to twenty-five-year-old Adam, and uh, and give him some advice on how to prepare to be a father at twenty-five and the things you were doing then. What uh, what would you tell yourself? You know what? Like, uh, I would go back and tell twenty-five-year-old Adam probably a lot of different things, but I am I'm actually I wouldn't change a single thing mm-hmm. about how it all played out. To leading because I, I lived up my single life for sure. Uh, many Vegas trips, um, dated a lot of people, had a lot of fun, um, learned a lot, learned a lot about myself, 
learned a lot about uh, the type of partner that I wanted. I mean, that was, you know, what a lesson that was. I, for the first, you know, 10 years of dating women, I dated women based off of my insecurities. I think a lot of people do this and they don't even know this. I think you don't realize that you gravitate towards these these people that, that like, make you feel good about your insecurity mm -hmm. uh, and they don't help you really grow through it and it's not the right person. Like, I used to date girls that... Um, I was like the father figure and I thought that that's what I needed, right? Like, because it felt good initially because I wanted to be a leader. I wanted to be this man like who had the answers. Right. And also probably because whether literally or figuratively, they're signing off on your bullshit. Right. They're, they're, they're letting you do what you want to do mm -hmm. and um, letting you have what you want to have versus being accountable to right. what you should or shouldn't. And so for, you know, the up and I mean, I was doing that past 25. It wasn't until, maybe a couple of girlfriends before Katrina, did I finally realize like, that's not the right woman for me. The The right woman for me will be my, my equal, right? That someone who is, is gonna challenge me, you know, mentally is going to push me to be a better person. There's also growth minded, like, and I mean, I'm, I'm so blessed that I, I went through all that first because I don't know if I would have figured that out. You know, I don't know if like 25 year old, like if, if I went back and said, this is the type of girl you need to be like, yeah, right, bro. I'll, I'll get, I got this, you know, so and I wouldn't change it. I think that I'm so glad, you know, like when I think about like also this is when I talk to dads that are considering being a, a, a young dad is one of the probably the harder things I would think if you're if you're a dad at like 25 or in early 20s is that feeling of like missing out on stuff. Right. Like I don't have any of that. Like mm -hmm. there's no like, I wanna go to Vegas or I wanna do, like I did that so much that I'm over, long over all that. And like, I can't wait to get home and see my son. Right. Like, and like Katrina, like, oh, she just last, this weekend coming out. She's like, hey, we don't have any plans. You wanna go do this? Like, you know what? I just actually wanna hang around with Max all yeah. day. Like, is that cool? Yeah, like <laughs> literally that's, that is, I, I don't feel like I'm sacrificing to do that. It's what I really wanna genuinely do. And I'm sure that, comes off and has felt that way where if I was very, very selfish in my early twenties because I came from so little. And when I got to a place where I could, I started to have abundance in my life, I wanted it all for myself, mm -hmm. you know? So I was a very, very selfish person, but luckily I had the self-awareness to know that and to know like, I'm not in a place to live my life for another human being. I need to get this all out of my system. Yeah. So. Yeah, so uh, so interesting. Like going back to the partying and the being twenty five and making poor decisions, and but also at the same time trying to be aware of the good decisions. Let's go back to you as a professional, you know, a coach, a trainer at twenty five. Okay, knowing what you know now as a dad. Okay, having watched Katrina have to go through the things that she went through to get to this point as a mom and the things that she, you know, her responsibility as a mom and then the relationship now and everything else. Yeah. When you go back as a trainer, would you have handled yourself differently with clients? Oh God. Coaching. Yeah. Oh yeah. Then, and, and okay. So I wasn't even a really good trainer. Well, let's yeah. be honest. I wasn't a good trainer. Well, what would you tell people? I wasn't a good trainer. Like here, what I, I was really good at sales. That's what I was good at. You know, truth be told, like I, I come from a family, a, a, a long line of salespeople. Um, and I like people and I enjoy talking and I love fitness. And so it worked. Mm -hmm. Um, but I was a terrible trainer for a long time. And I, I know if you were to, and I'm, you know, I'm probably being hard on myself. If you interviewed one of my clients, they'd be like, Oh my God, he was amazing. Like, right. I don't think I was, um, for a, a lot of different reasons. One, the experience and the knowledge wasn't quite there yet. Like I, I really needed to put the reps in to mm -hmm. really, really, really fully grasp everything. I had the national, so I had like eight national certifications. So I had like the education, I was smart enough. Like, 
but there, there's a whole other level to this game when you learn the like the, the, the psychological part and component of training clients and coaching people. That didn't come till way later. Like for example, when I was a young trainer, one of the first things you do is you sit down and you, you know, you do your par cue, your measurements, body fat. You ask them questions, your goals, this and that. You know, oh, what do you do for fitness right now? And if someone would be like, oh, well, you know, my husband and I, we get up and we walk every day. I'd be like, <laughs> that's, the, that's, that's not fitness. You know how many calories you burn when you walk? Like nothing. You know what I'm saying? Like that's not fit. Like we just okay, so fail. Yeah, right. right. So I would say things like that. Totally terrible. Which the irony of that is, when I talk to somebody today and I go, "What are your fitness goals?" and you know, the very first place I start is, "Well, let's start with like a 20 minute walk. Let's move again. a little bit more. Yeah, right? and it's so funny that that was something that I would scoff at and be like, wouldn't even pay attention to or talk to." Or now it's where I start everybody. So, yeah, you know, what I what we learned, and I also think this is, again, this speaks to why the podcast does so well, is I think we spend more time speaking to the behaviors around nutrition, the relationship with nutrition, the behaviors and relationship with exercise, mm-hmm. more than we actually talk about all the nuances of biomechanics, mm-hmm. the latest study, sure. macro breaking down, periodization, like, all that shit. Like, mm-hmm. There's technical, then there's application. That, right. right. And, you know, th- that's cool if, you know, if I'm just trying to sound smart to my peers or prove that, like, I know how to do all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But if I'm, if my real desired outcome is changing people's lives and, and really fundamentally building in good behaviors that is going to carry them on for a long time and a healthier life, then a lot of that bullshit don't even matter. Nope. And so... I didn't know that at 25. At 25, what I was You want to give all that information. Yeah, yeah, I gave you all the answers to the test, right? As you know, to show you how smart I was. Right. That that was the way of training back then. I was like, "Oh, you want to lose 15 pounds, build 10 5 pounds of muscle?" Oh, let me give you this yeah. list of 80 things you need exactly. to do. Exactly. Here's the program, here's the diet, and then I was a, a glorified cheerleader and yep. counter. And I, honestly, I was like a good counter. Like that's what I was known for. A great counter. Yeah, I could count really well and make the the session fun and interactive. I still can't count. Yeah. <laughs> that was what I was good at. I was I was good at counting. I was good at like making your session fun. And so that's why probably somebody else would go like, oh, he was so good. But I wasn't that good because when I, and I, and I had an epiphany around 26 when I'd collected all these trophies of that said I was the number one trainer and shit. And I remember thinking to myself like, God, if I'm the number one trainer, why do I not see all the people that I've change their life in this gym all the time. Like they're all long and gone or they're still paying me, you know, to kind of do the same bullshit. Like I realized that like that was, I was good at getting people committed to paying me money, but I wasn't really good about getting them to implement the behaviors to really fundamentally change their life. And that was like a, a major turning point for me of like starting to kind of change the way I looked. And it took a long time. So in terms of giving them the right information and implementing the right to implement the right behaviors and move the term used a lot as big rocks, you know, and then worry about the smaller things later. We're in such a wild time right now. We're finding out so many things about so many things, right? We got COVID that, you know, the world's gone through. We're coming out the other end. One of the things we're finding out is how unhealthy people are, right? And that, you know, this pandemic very well is a very well could be a symptom of the bigger problem, which is an unhealthy population who has taken so many wrong turns and some somehow um, has found itself in a place where they're not resilient 
and they're they're not healthy and they're so susceptible to so many things. And this really isn't new. This isn't new information. It's just maybe people are more more aware. People are more self aware of it. The the crusade that you've been on with Mind Pump and and the crusade I've been on for many many years in my my career is, you know. To, to find to give the truth to give the the, the direction to be a, a thought leader in, in helping people to understand what it is that they, they need to they need to do um, and it's become more never we're sifting through this garbage and trying to pull out the pieces and the context and everything else dude are we failing what what has happened like I mean is this off or not have we just completely failed I think about that a lot actually especially when statistically speaking we are. Because um, the you know what I just saw the the latest numbers on obesity right, right. we're now up to almost seven right now we're at forty forty six percent obesity seventy something percent of overweight overweight yep so almost half of the people that you see every day are you know clinically obese and pretty much everybody you see is pretty much overweight um, yeah it's we're we're definitely losing I mean it's it's uh. It's more like baseball, right? You know, like statistics. Yeah, yeah. right. Batting three hundred is really it's good. Great, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, you you don't ever see anybody batting five hundred or eight hundred, right? So uh, it's what it feels like sometimes. Yeah, you know, I think that um, we're at a very interesting time. What I want to believe is that the pendulum is swinging really, really hard mm-hmm. in this direction that's not in our favor of like overall health, like both social, mental, spiritual, mm-hmm. physical, everything, right? I think we're really, your guys and I were talking even about like just financial. Yeah, everything, right? Yeah, exactly, right? At all, all levels of health, we are really like swinging hard one direction. And I want to believe that you know, we're getting close to that side where it has to come back. You know, I think I really, and, I, and, and that gives me hope. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, obviously it's incredible job security, right? Cause it's, if you continue to have sick, overweight, obese people, the message needs to be heard no matter mm-hmm. what. But I mean, I, I want to be optimistic. I want to believe that, and you know, and the, the optimistic side of me goes like this, you know, it's uh, th- this right is all very new. And there's going to come a time where the cream will rise and we'll be able to sift through all the bullshit and the right, the, the flash in the pan influencer and the people that just hack the algorithm. And at the top will be the people that are providing really valuable life changing type of content to people. And then I like to think that that hopefully will start to make a real big dent in this. Like I know that I know in our community we're making a big dent, but we're still, we're still this, we're still in a very small pond, you know, maybe we're like a medium sized fish or maybe you can consider us even a big fish a little bit, but we're in a very small pond. Sure. Absolutely. And we really are trying to, you know, you know, Sal with his book coming out and stuff like that. We're really trying to break into, you know, true mainstream. I feel like we're finally, our communication skills and everything is getting to where we're ready for mainstream, but we're not mainstream, you know, we're not known like Jillian Michaels, who's still giving advice to people out there. Stop it. Right. So, you know, but, Again, these mediums, these things are, are still still in their infancy. And so the optimistic side of me says, okay, like the pendulum's really far. It's got to come back really soon here. We're, we're really just starting to get, you know, the good people in this space to try and rise to the top. And yeah, dude, I hope in the next three to five years we start to see it come the other way. So that's the, I mean, that's the challenge, right? Trying to make the connection. Right. And that's what you're trying to do, you know, through the podcast and through your programs and through all, all the different partnerships and things that you have. And, and you got to fight fire with right, fire. Yeah, absolutely. One one thousand percent. You have to come at it head on. You can't 
you can't play in the shadows and expect to be uh, productive in that sense. But uh, what's the disconnect? So the, the, we're trying to make the connection. What is the friction? What is the major disconnect in getting the message out there so that people need feel compelled they feel like they feel challenged and they finally feel inspired to take responsibility mm-hmm. for their health for their wellness and and I don't mean like you should do this because it's it sucks to be fat it sucks to be obese you know it sucks to be overweight but no because you want to improve the quality of your life you want to be better for your son you want to be better for your daughter you yeah. want to be better for your partner you you don't want to be a burden to the system you don't want to be a burden to your family well what's the disconnect there well there's personal responsibility we're just we live in a time right now where nobody wants to take personal responsibility we just want to point the finger at everybody yeah. and the scary part is that you know is it going to have to get a lot worse before we start to take more personal responsibility. And and you're right, the reasons for doing it, it shouldn't be because you want to look a certain way or uh, or even, even that you want to live a longer life. It's that when you are healthier, and this is the connection, like the, and this, again, this is talking about things that have evolved as a trainer, like how to communicate to these clients. When I, when I have a client eat something that I want them to eat that maybe they don't care to eat very much or do an exercise or do something that like is challenging or hard for them, I don't just leave it there. Like there's, there's got to be a follow-up to that to help them make a connection to other aspects of their life than like just this superficial calories in, calories out, lose weight, gain weight, the way mm-hmm. look type of shit. And that is to like, I, I follow up that like, okay, I got them to eliminate, you know, X product or thing, and I've added this thing that I know they're missing, right? So I've, I've, I've got the knowledge base enough to look at a diet the way somebody eats, know that they're lacking in here in these things. They're abusing these things. Okay, now first hurdle is, can I get them to introduce one or two things that I know will make them feel better, mm-hmm. right? That they're needing, right? Then it could be a whole host of things. It could be lacking in magnesium. They could be lacking in fiber or protein or whatever, right? I just, I mean, I'm only going to pick one or two things. I'm going to get it in there. And then I'm going to look at a couple of things that I know is not helping, you know, at all. And maybe just get rid of one because I don't want to overwhelm them. Right. But then it doesn't stop there because, and, and, and the communication isn't about, oh, did you lose weight this week? It's, how'd you feel? Mm-hmm. How, how productive were you at work today? How positive? What was your mood like? What's how'd your you hair sleep, like? What's right. your skin? How'd you right. sleep? And you start and you and you help them make that connection that, oh, wow, when I love myself, when I take care of my body, when I make these choices that are better for me, holy crap, it makes all these other aspects of my life that much better and oh as a byproduct it also gets me in shape which is what got me through the door originally to come in here is to lose my body fat or to look a certain way and so that's what we're we're trying to change the conversation we're trying to change the conversation from what most people walk in the door with most people that do make a decision to try fitness or to work out or get a gym membership the actual initial thing that pushes them to do that is an insecurity right is i don't like myself I don't like the way I look. I don't like the way I feel. Or my doctor told me I'm going to die if I don't do right. this thing. And so that is, and that's not the right reason. That's not what's going to keep them. Fear. Yeah, exactly. Right. 
exactly. That is not just like with fear of leadership, right? That, that's fleeting. It only lasts so long. They have to be motivated to want to take care of themselves because they realize they're a better version of themselves because of those things, regardless of their weight on the scale right. or down. So that conversation, I think, is is a very important one that we're trying to have and we're trying to influence our peers yep. to have more of. And I think that while people are getting worse and, and trying all the gimmicks and all the bullshit and, and going that way, while we're also trying to have better I want to believe it'll start to come and then maybe somewhere we meet in the middle and that's hopefully what sends it over the top. So you talk about it getting sort of worse before it gets better and that lack of accountability or personal responsibility and the searching for the easy button or the way to not have to take more responsibility leads people to, you know, certain other behaviors or buying decisions uh, to try to take care of their health and fitness, right? And they're looking for, well, how can I do this in the most comfortable, non-disruptive, and in some cases, private, you know, kind of way that I can. Which brings me to, you know, this last year again, and all the things that we're discovering, all the things we're learning, particularly with technology and innovation. There's been so much innovation in our, in our, well, just in general, from a technology perspective, you start to look at, you know, uh, fitness apps and how many things get downloaded and how many people are kind of latching on. And interestingly, with all the, the apps, if you look at the research, what it'll show is it's not just fitness. It's, it, people are thinking about stuff. It's mindfulness. It's, 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 um, uh, things like calm and headspace and, and those kind of things that people are downloading. But, we're starting to see this like push for new fitness equipment, right? Like what's the new answer now? Where are we coming to? Yeah, we've, got, yeah. we've got things hanging on walls with mirrors that talk to us and we've got, you know, bikes that we sit on that go nowhere that have screens in front of us and we they're reaching for what seems to be the right thing or gives them almost emotional fulfillment. So obviously we're alluding to the heated debate that I had on on Instagram, right? Okay, maybe. So <laughs> Recently, uh, I, well, first of all, let me start with how it came up, right? So I, and I love this stuff. Like I love, I follow all these businesses and I'm very intrigued by all of them. And on the podcast, um, I brought up on the show, I said, Hey, uh, you know, Tonal just took on, you know, I think 200 and something million dollars and their, their valuation is 1.6. I think it was 250. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Something like that. And by the way, today or yesterday, uh, another one of those, it's, it's not mirror. It's not Tonal. There's a third one that's very similar. This one has more weights involved in it, but similar, uh, just took on 200 something million. Also another crazy valuation. And I got into a huge debate with my buddy. Uh, and of course, I, I obviously uh, offended him because he's financially invested in the company. And, you know, he's a very smart guy and he happens to know the CEO and he knows the KPIs and he knows a lot about. He's got all the insight to the financials and the back end. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And we're, and I'm like, I'm not denying any of that. I'm not denying that they didn't come up with a, a legitimate valuation somehow. Like I've done the same thing for my company so I can, I can tout the numbers that we're valued at. Um, but I also know as a CEO know our weaknesses and where we could disappear tomorrow. Like if we don't watch our back, right? Mm-hmm. So you'd be a fool to think that it doesn't exist in all these companies also. So that's one. The second big thing is this. So long as it's treating the symptom and it is not the cure we are going to be in the same boat. Some circle. That's right. And and, it, and if you think that Tonal, Mir, Peloton, Orange Theory 
is the cure to the obesity epidemic, you're dead wrong. And I'll fight any, I'll fight that argument all day with somebody, and I'll stand on my experience of being in this business and seeing tons of businesses just like this that were brilliant at the time, great marketing. They'll come and go. That's right. That treat the symptom really well. They build a lot of good hype. They hire a lot of good executives behind it. They know how to go out and prey on everybody's insecurities and get them to sign up and buy initially. But because it's not the cure, it will eventually be a coat hanger for somebody. Mm-hmm. And I will, I'll take the Pepsi challenge on that all day long. And that is, and the reason why I have so much faith in what we're building, what we're doing is because like you alluded to earlier is we're trying to change the conversation to what the cure is. And the cure is, is, is responsibility, personal responsibility and accountability and taking care of yourself because you're loving, love yourself, learning to meet yourself where you're currently at in your fitness goal and slowly building upon that to make a lifestyle change. It is not some digital bullshit that's going to be a quick fix answer because it's convenient in your home. And if you think that is the answer, you're dead wrong. And so, yeah, I got into a heated debate with my buddy with that and, you know, he did not want to let up. At all, he. Went, I mean, he kept coming at me back and forth, and right. you know, I guess we'll see. You know, yeah. It, again, back and forth, and that's healthy, right? Yeah, because it, it 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 definitely spawns some conversation, and again, hopefully, it gets people to kind of think about it. A one point six billion dollar valuation on a piece of equipment, um, and and again, it's not a piece of equipment; it's a company that sells a piece of equipment. I think the question, you know, can be interpreted a couple different ways. Yes, if you're looking at it literally and figuratively, or literally, you know, you don't have maybe an insight to the financials so you don't know what it's really worth however if you're asking the consumer you know of fitness and you're asking the person that's trying to make a decision or is finally at a point in their life where they feel compelled like okay i really need to do something about my health this this covid shit really scared me and i know i i want a more resilient stronger you know body um what's the right answer for me if you're asking them if they think it's worth a 1.6 billion dollar valuation i think that's a different question altogether well i think even the way and part of how you know, I, you know, if you, I don't know if you actually went through the argument. No, I went through the whole thing. It was, okay. a, it was entertaining, <laughs> so to say the least. I kept putting overrated in quotation mm-hmm. marks to try and get him to understand that I'm not saying that the company's overvalued, that the, the, all the analytics didn't add up to right. come up with a, the right valuation. Okay, that's above my pay grade. I'm not in that. I can't say it. What I'm saying is the piece of equipment overrated. Mm -hmm. That's what all I was asking. And I do believe I'm qualified enough to ask that to my audience because of my experience. And for him to think that I can, I think you're ridiculous. I don't, they're, they were, they're evaluating these companies. Okay. uh, In all of them as a tech company, Mm -hmm. not as a fitness company first. It's a whole other silo. And that's, and and, and where he made a mistake in this argument was he kept going, referring back to how, you know, uh, Instagram was losing money, you know, and they still got a, you know, multi-billion dollar valuation and sold at X and blah, 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 blah. It's like, okay, if that's a terrible, because you only proved my argument more. Nobody, nobody is addicted to any piece of fitness equipment the way people are addicted to Instagram. I mean, the average Instagram user right now is spending like four hours a day on Instagram. It's fucking apples and oranges. Yeah, it's completely apples yeah. and oranges. They are, they are, they're using it like everybody uses it, first of all. Fat, skinny, tall, doesn't matter. They spend hours and hours consuming mindless content on it all day long, where very few people even last longer than four to six weeks doing any sort of 
any sort of anything, anything mm-hmm. fitness related because it takes discipline. It's hard. It's, hard. it's not fun. Mm-hmm. The results come on slow. Complete opposite. So I already think that this new age of evaluating uh tech fitness companies like a tech company is already a mistake in the time first will place. tell yeah, yeah absolutely. T- t- time will definitely yeah, absolutely. Just. I mean, we've seen it all come full circle a million times and what it comes down to is an individual who has individual things that have that need attention yeah. and and they need to be doing it in a way that works for them at a place and a time that works best and, and i'm not and i don't like to you know because i know i like I, I piss in his cheerios when i talk about orange theory too is like listen i I'm I'm not hating on a company that is trying is trying you know what, what I don't know their real desired outcome but it is supposedly trying to really help people or not but and if it, if if them treating the symptom will lead more people searching for the cure hey more power to them I'm all for right I'm all for it but you're a fool if you think that's the cure because that way of training. Uh, is not the answer. Yeah, let's people. be careful about what we're promising people. That's right. right. Yeah, totally get it. Well, um, could this be why? Because there's this this argument back and forth, you know, and, and looking at things. Could this be why? Because we can't seem to agree on fitness, technology, and there's these, I mean, let's be honest, there's egos, there's narcissism, as we've already covered. Is this why the fitness industry got... Just completely didn't have a voice this last year. I mean, except for those people that openly defied, you know, state and county mandates and, you know, got on social media and were on the news and got media coverage for pushing back and staying open and and all those things. Why, why were we why were we is this why or why were we labeled part of the problem and not part of the solution? Well, the short answer is the majority of us are a bunch of insecure wimps Mm -hmm. that are running all these businesses. I mean, most of the people that I know that have got into fitness and have done well in it, they, they got into it back to my original point of why people walk in the gym was because of an insecurity. I was a kid, you know, the thing that motivated me to go to the gym was attracting girls and being teased for being skinny. Mm -hmm. Like that was like what got me in the gym day in, day out, hammering the weights was that if you stay in that place, and you don't ever grow, you certainly are not in a position to lead our country right. or lead be a, a leading voice in the health and fitness space. And so we have a bunch of people, a bunch of sheep in our space that are exactly that, that are still learning, growing, and insecure themselves. And, and, and by the way, this I'm not saying everyone because there were outliers. Like, I don't know if you follow... Um, I think his name's Ian Smith. I do. Okay. Mm-hmm. An example of somebody who, mm-hmm. who stuck it to the man, right? I mm-hmm. mean, I, I really appreciate the content that he he puts out. In fact, we sent him over a fitness and freedom flag that we had we had made and, and uh, sent him a nice little letter and said, love what you're doing and Mind Pump supports you. And so I just think there's not a lot of those voices in our space. And honestly, they're, they're diluted by all the Kardashian Instagrams, yep. you know what I'm saying? Like there's there's a lot more of those and a lot more people paying attention to those people. And so I don't think the voices don't exist. I don't think that the message, the good, right message isn't out there. It's just not the popular one. Yeah, I think we're, we, we lack the... We lack the congruency, but we also lack having that that figurehead or that person, whoever it might be, that really does speak for all of us and speak for the people and, and in a sense, 
can do it articulately, but also do it honestly and do it in a way where people can get behind it and kind of listen to it. And, and again, the, the shirtless selfie guy and the, the ass pick, you know, Fitzbo person that's putting out the content seems to be getting all the attention. And until we have more people, you know, on the team and on board trying to spread, you know, the, the message to that's the masses. The, that's the, the mission of Mind Bomb, right. man. I mean, that's exactly. really where, and that's why, I, you know, telling you earlier like I, I know we're nowhere near there yet yeah until we, we are that voice until that we're respected on that level where we've become so much an authority that like people are wondering what's mind bump going to say about something uh we have a lot we have a lot more room to grow yeah. so that's what, exactly the stuff that motivates us is that is as as much excitement around the growth and everything that we've had um there's still a lot of work to be done for us and mm-hmm. i hope one day that we we get to represent uh, our our voice like that well that said i mean we we we're we're coming out the other side. The, the, the tide is turning here. We're, we're, we're shifting. We're starting to see, you know, gyms are, are starting to come back. We had a little conversation, you know, before about how, you know, Mind Pump is starting to feel a little bit better about kind of things and, and you personally. But for those people that have survived and kind of come out the other end at this point, um, what, what, what advice and I mean this from the fitness space perspective, because so many people are gone now um, that, that won't be back. It's not that they can't contribute, but a lot of small business, a lot of gyms, particularly here in California. What advice would you give them on kind of how to thrive in the new climate? What do they need to do? If they got to this point, what do they need to do or continue to do? Well, to I think going? I think that you have to you have to understand that we're. We're playing in a new medium. So it depends on who, who I'm talking to. Right? If I'm talking to an old guy or I'm talking to a young guy right, or girl, whatever. Um I was talking to your guys earlier when they were doing videos of me over at the studio and talking that there's there's an advantage to someone like you who is uh, we, we consider you an old dog. Yep, gotcha. I'll okay. take that label. Right. <laughs> Look at <in> my face. Yeah. <laughs> so there's 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 an advantage that you have, in it, and then there's also a disadvantage. Right? The disadvantage is guys like you and I are just like. Uh, TikTok, Snapchat, Facebook. This is weird. It's I weird. I don't know how to do this. You know, like that's, that's right. We, we sound, but where we're really comfortable is right here mm-hmm. or how to operate something like this and the importance of it. And I was telling them, I said, you know, it's really not that different. It's just a new and different medium. And all you have to learn how to do if you're an older guy or girl who's been in the space for a long time is you need to learn how to take those, those really core business principles that made you successful in the brick and mortar. And you need to learn how to, to, to translate that into podcasting, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, communicate that message there. It doesn't really change. Um, I think that even the, the old dog who gets in there gets a little hung up on, you know, or can get caught up in the hype around all the other young kids growing around them and go like, oh my God, I'm, I just started this Instagram thing and I've been clipping away at it for the last six months and I've only got 300 followers and this stupid kid who, you know, all right. he does is this dumb thing and he's got 10 million already. Like, it's okay. Cause here's the thing, like when you were starting a brick and mortar business, if, you know, 10 people walked in your, in your business, what would you do? You would walk over to them and you would make them feel like family, like mm-hmm. cheers, right? Yep. And it's no different when you're doing it on social. And this is the mistake that I think the young kids make that, that don't know any better, that never built a brick and mortar business, that just see what everybody's doing on Instagram and Facebook and they're just trying to hack an algorithm and they're just worried about getting their number up higher versus 
the few people that aren't paying attention to, how are you servicing them? How are you adding value into their life? How are you making them feel like they're at Cheers every single day? That should be where your focus is, is Mm -hmm. getting that honed in really well. And then you will eventually start to attract people like that. I mean, we just barely hit 100K, which sounds like a ton probably for someone like you who's trying to build all that. But the business is way bigger than you know, a hundred thousand followers. Mm-hmm. It's much bigger than that. We've been flying on the radar for a long time because we didn't worry about that. We didn't worry about like how, what, what that, you know, right. what that number looked like. We were more concerned. What were the few people that were paying attention to us? What were they saying about us and how, how were we impacting their lives? And so my advice to somebody that, that's coming out of COVID and, and try or either just getting into fitness and trying to navigate the waters right now or, or just keep their head above water from what happened last year is, one, like Gary Vee says, you got to look at all these social platforms as a real estate, and you should own real estate in all of them. So you, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, at least the big monsters. Podcasting, I think, is great, too. You should have real estate there and you should start to be trying to service your five or 10 people that are paying attention to you on this platform. And I'll tell you from experience that it it still baffles me. Um, There is a very clear difference of an an audience that watches us on YouTube and listens to us on iTunes. It's a different business. We even have now started to do a different intro and and provide different stuff for the YouTube channel. Mm -hmm that what we do for the Smart. podcast mm-hmm. because they're different. And so it's, it's like a whole other business. And the same thing goes for like what's going on on our Instagram. Um, they're different communities. It, it attracts a different type of person that wants to use that channel to learn about you or hear your message. And so, and this goes for anybody who even wants to have a gym, like what you guys have, like having the gym, this is where you guys can do what you do best, like impact lives personally and show results and interact and be social and connect. Like, that's cool. But then you want to have these other things that complement that. And I gave this advice the other day about somebody asked on the podcast, a kid, I'm trying to start my Instagram and I have clients in person. How would you grow your Instagram? I said, I wouldn't worry about growing my Instagram so much and adding followers. What I would try and what I would do with my Instagram or Facebook, any, take any medium, social media, is I would, I would want it to complement my in-person business, meaning... What would drive the content on Instagram would be the conversations that I'm having in person with my clients. Mm-hmm. So I've got Susie today and Susie comes in and she goes, Adam, I just found out I have gout. And I'm like, I'm a new trainer. I'm, I don't know what gout is. I have to go look it up. I got to research it. I got to see what causes it. I got to see what foods to stay away from. I got to see like how, what exercise to do. Guess what? I did. I got my next three posts for mm-hmm. Instagram. I'm going to talk about Gout. What's happening? What is gout? Mm-hmm. What are we, and what does that do? It just adds value to Susie, who's already paying me, who's like, oh man, this guy's badass. He got my answer. I've got a place I can reference it and go back and look at it. And then I go back to the client. And I got Bob the next day. And Bob's like, you know, struggling. He's got gut inflammation. He's got this I- issue and he doesn't know what it is. And he's asking me, and I'm, I don't know. So I go and I go research and I go learn. And then I go, okay, let me put that content. Mm-hmm. On my on my social platform, and so I'm not wor- and I'm not worried that I only have a hundred people that are paying attention to me. What I care about is the people that are paying attention to me, and the people that I am that are paying me right now. That I'm doing the most I can to add value to them. And what will happen, okay, is I will start to attract somebody else who has gout, mm-hmm. you know, and that needs help or was looking for that information, or somebody else that has gut issues and was, and what will you'll slowly 
build that way, but it will it'll be much easier for you to do that way because you, you'll simultaneously be adding value to the people that are already paying, which only allows you to either increase price or retain people. And then it'll also open the door for you to find people virtually that are also struggling with the same thing. So that would be my advice to somebody who is running a business that's a brick and mortar or a trainer in, in person. But don't also be naive to just go like, oh, I got a cool business where I make, you know, 60 to 100 grand a year training clients. I don't need that shit. I'm over it or I'm not into it like that. To me, that's being a little naive that this is kind of the future. And, you know, the next generation is this is their main. I mean, now, literally like this in, in your and I's, you know, generation, we they used to say the average client would shop a trainer for three months before they would buy them. Well, shopping a trainer for three months looks like this. You go to the gym, you sit on the elliptical and you watch him train, Right. you know, for three months. Like, I like that Adam guy. He's interactive. He talks to his client. He looks like fun. I'm going to go hire him. Like, this, like that doesn't look, that's not how it looks. Now what it looks like mm-hmm. is. Got to see me 10 times. That's right. 15, I'm going to go look at, you know, mm-hmm. mind pump Adam. Like, look at his Instagram. What's he talking about? What's he doing? Mm-hmm. You know, like that's how they're shopping you and they're looking at you. So even if they're not following you right away, they're viewing the conversations, the things that you're doing and you're having, and those are all your real potential clients. That's really what you should be worried about. Don't worry about being the most popular person on there. Worry about adding as much value as you can to the few people that are following you, and then it'll it'll slowly grow. Brilliant. Thank you. I got one last question. So that handles kind of the business owner coming out of COVID and trying to get it going in the fitness, in the fitness business or keep it going. The last question would be, how about for the person now who is maybe been out of the game a while um, or hasn't ever entered into the game and they realize they need to start doing something a little bit different for themselves to take care of themselves, to to be healthy, to, you know, whether it be exercise, nutrition, resiliency, uh, stress management, all the things that they're hearing us talk about and all the things they hear on and see on Instagram where do they start, man? What, what, what should they do? What should the consumer of fitness be really focused on right now versus maybe before? Okay, well, first start with this. Um, motivation is bullshit. Self-belief is everything. And motivation is a, a feeling, and it's very fleeting. It's fleeting, right. So if you lean heavily on you know, watching your favorite Instagrammer get to get you hyped or watching a video or somebody's got a lot of energy to get you in. Um, know that really, really soon you'll be faced with, uh, you know, a really tough time because that will go just like happiness and sadness. These feelings come and go. And so does motivation. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't committed yourself to changing behaviors then when those hard times come, you're going to fold because your your emotions don't align with mm-hmm. what you need to you get to the, the bandwidth. Right. And, and to go deeper on that, the trick to that is to know where to meet yourself at. And so if you have been sitting on the couch all through COVID, eating Doritos, not working out whatsoever, and you're okay now you maybe get the vaccine now you're gonna go back to work it out and you're like oh my god i'm gonna change my ways like that's it i'm i'm committed i'm gonna go buy a trainer i'm gonna go to get a membership i'm gonna go start working i'm doing all the things right i'm gonna start doing all the stuff i would caution you and i would tell you i i would say listen you weren't doing none of that shit just a month ago so what you should do is pick one or two things that you can change forever in your life 
and, and prove to yourself that you can first start to do it for a few months. And that could be something as simple as cutting something out that you know isn't serving you. Uh, a vice I dealt with for years, sodas. Mm-hmm. You know, you love to drink sodas all the time. I know it's not serving my body. It's pretty much empty calories. Um, I know that the sugar only makes me crave more, more sugar, more sugar and more bad food. It also kills my palate for vegetables and fruit. So maybe that's my thing. I go, you know what? I know it's not serving me. I know it's not ideal. I know when I don't drink soda, I eat better. I do this. So that's it. You know, just commit to that. And then after you've proven to yourself that it's become a behavior, then add something else. Mm. And then when you add, like, let's say fitness, and I'm not saying that you can't do a few of these things together. Okay. So I want to make that clear. Really do who I'm talking to at where they're at. Right. And that's what makes a good coach and trainer. It's understanding how to find is, that. Yeah. Out. Is seeing where that person is and then meeting them there. Like, for example, if I got somebody, in fact, my cousin, who's part of the marketing team, you know, he, he watches that show, um, my 600 pound day or whatever it's called. Have you seen that or whatever? my 600 pound life or whatever? Yeah. Uh, I heard of it. I don't he, think I've made it. So basically it falls around and he, he's like, Hey cuz he's like, have you ever, have you ever trained somebody that big? And I said, I haven't trained 600. I've trained a few 400 pounders. He's like, dude, what do you do? He's like, you know, honestly, like the workout is I get a chair, you know, and they hold my hands and they sit down, get up, sit down, get up. And we do that for like 20 minutes and they're like pretty much done. And then I, they have to take a break between walking from the gym floor over to signing out or whatever. So, you know, and a mistake that you would make would be like boot camp, you know, right. biggest loser style. Like that is, that's why I hate that show so much. It's like you're, you're setting those people up for pounding on people. Yeah, it's unsustainable. Yeah. yeah. Can any, sure. Anybody could lock themselves in a camp and discipline themselves for a short period of time. But again, once that, that, uh, that high of emotion and that cheerleader yelling at you and be the, the peer pressure of everybody around you, once that all goes away and it's just you with you, what do you got? Yeah. What do you got? You don't got all that stuff anymore. And the only thing you can lean on is the discipline and behaviors that you've implemented in your life. And you'd be a fool to commit to yourself to all of these things at once mm-hmm. if you've never really done that. So I would say, you know, start with that. If you're somebody who only walks a thousand steps in a day, which I love to tell somebody, I think there's, here's, here's where tech, I do like tech, right? I love, so I'm place, yeah. yeah, I love, I love like step counters, like whether it be your Apple uh, iPhone or a Fitbit or whatever like that. But what I like them for is not like something that we're married to or matters that much, but it's a good place for me to know as a coach, like your starting point. There's awareness. Yeah, so exactly. For awareness reasons, like I'll have somebody wear one of those for a week and I say, just do your normal stuff. Don't try to impress me and just get back See to what me. happens. See what happens. And then I come back and I go like, okay, so I can look at her all week. She averages 2,500 steps a day. So I'm going to tell her like, here's our goal. I want you to get to 4,000 steps every day, which I know two more thousand steps is like 20 minute walk. That's it. Right. So I'm going to, what I want you to do is do a 20 minute walk. We'll agree on a time when you have the, like, I don't want to implement it at a time that's going to get conflicted all the time. Like, do you have dinner with your husband at night? Okay, great. Well, here's a, here's a winning recipe for you. I want you and your husband to go for a walk for 20 minutes after you eat. Right after you eat, yep. And what you'll love about this, and what I want you to connect to this, is not about how much weight you're going to lose next week or that, is this is a great time for you and your husband to talk. Decompress. That's right. Have right. conversation, connect, work on your relationship health, and maybe your spiritual health around that time. Like a habit stacking, right? That, that's you're, right. You're working on more than that's one That's right. Time. And you start to do that, and, let, and then let's talk about the benefit, and then we'll build upon that. So if you're getting back right now, 
the, I'll tell you that the biggest mistake that most people make is to overcommit themselves to something they can't realistically stick to forever. So start with something small, build some momentum, and then start to habit stack, start to stack little things on top of that. And this is the long game, man. This is not a quick fix thing. And, and even if you think you want that because you have a wedding or you have something coming up really quick, if you really want long-term results forever, then this is the approach to do that. You don't want to cram it all at once. That's great advice, man. Much gratitude for all your knowledge and, and for hanging out with me today. Thank and, you, dude. And, uh, and spending time. I really, really just want to thank you one more time and uh, give you an opportunity to, with all the things we've talked about, I mean, obviously, the Mind Pump podcast is, is a great place to, to learn more about Adam, but if people are going to jump on and try to follow and maybe know a little bit more about you, where do they go, dude? Um, I mean, you can find us anywhere, right? I always tell people to please take advantage of all the free content that we have first. We have two big old YouTube channels under Mind Pump. We've got the podcast, Mind Pump. Uh, we have mindpumpfree.com, which has got all kinds of free content in. We have the blogs. Go, go consume all the free stuff from us. Um, if you're going to support in any way right now, the one thing I may ask is to go over to the resistance training revolution.com. Uh, pick up Sal's book. Sal does, a, and this this book, so you know, is really targeted to the person you just asked me about. So when he wrote that mm-hmm. book, it was not to compete with uh, all the other like the, Arnold's encyclopedia. Yes, it's, yeah, it's not designed to get the this, and not that it won't add value to someone who's like a fitness fanatic or like that. It's really to communicate fitness the right way yeah. to the masses. And to really help people start in the right direction. So if you have a family or a friend or somebody who you know would benefit from that, it's an incredible book. And he's I know he's releasing it real soon here. Yeah, I've got it. I pre-purchased it. It's in the, it's in the library. Yeah, man. Thank you. Well, again, man, thanks uh, thanks again for coming down. Always a really great time. Hopefully we can have you back in here. Uh, miss talking to you. Miss seeing yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, you too. Say hi to the crew for us. And, I will. Uh, we'll catch you next time. we Will do. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Iron Sights. If you enjoyed our conversation, you can support our mission by hitting the subscribe button, leaving a review, and sharing the podcast with a friend. I'll see you on the next episode.